You already know what time it is. Welcome back in to the NFL with AJL, episode 66. We're live on a Tuesday. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here tapped in with me on the show. Got a packed episode tonight. I know I've been gone for a couple weeks. Honestly, just needed to take a little bacon content. Real estate business was picking up as well. And we got our cat Java home. I know I've been talking about that on the last few episodes of, uh, you know, happened at the beginning of January as we went through January. Blessed, thankful that she's back home. Y'all hit me up if you want to figure out how I uh, was able to capture her. I got the perfect solution for you guys in case your cat is out. But again, you could have been anywhere else in the world. Hope y'all have had a great February as March 1st is literally Friday. Before you know, we're going to be a quarter of the way through this year, and it's absolutely crazy to think about. Y'all let me know if you can see me live on Instagram as well. I connected the Instagram to the channel. It looks like I am, and it looks like it's playing back on there, so I love to hear that. Appreciate you guys for that. want to make sure that I'm not going to be, yeah, the, the sound isn't interfering. Perfect. But again, hope y'all had a great uh, week so far. I know it's only Tuesday. Hope the month has been great for y'all as well. Before we get into the show, y'all please make sure to like and share wherever you may be watching, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram now, X, uh, YouTube, or Twitch. Y'all please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Like as well. You can hit the bell on YouTube so you never miss a post, whether it's a short, whether it is a uh, short form clip, whether or not a short form clip, whether it's a short, whether it's a medium form clip, a live, whatever the case may be. Also make sure that you can drop a super chat or a super thanks on YouTube as well. Donate directly to the channel. Or if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up for my uh, social media. You already know though, at the NFL with AJL, if you want to do Venmo, Cash App, I got all the money apps if you want to support the show and maybe kind of keep YouTube out of it. Of course, as I mentioned on the last show as well, we are now partnered with PlayStation, the perfect collab. If you're looking for the perfect gaming and worship Christian collab, PlayStation, P-R-A-Y, you can make sure to check them out. The link is in the description wherever you're watching the live show. Use code AJL at checkout at PlayStation Online. I mean, look at the logo, man. It's kind of hard for it to come in, but the PlayStation colors with the praying hands, best collab I could have asked to get in with. Thank you. Lord, um, it's Jamel. There's Jamel and Jakaya, but I believe Jamel is the one behind it. So I appreciate you, man, for hooking us up with the collab. And I want to say that the Instagram is working for sure because I got seven live folks, and I think a good bit of that influx is coming in from the show, but let's not waste any more time. We got Justin Bill rumors on the slate tonight. The 49ers firing Steve Wilkes, the top three surprise and letdown teams in the NFL from the 2023 season. EA sports college football 25 has revealed itself. We got the who corner and much more. Let's jump into it. It's probably the longest intro I've ever done for the show. The Falcons or the Steelers could be pursuing Justin Fields in the off season. And we know that both of these teams have needed a quarterback for quite some time now, especially with the Falcons not really being able to find their bearings after Matt Ryan does go to the Colts and then kind of gets the horrible short end of the stick for the end of his NFL career. He's now in the booth. And the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, we know that they went through a Duck Hodges. They know that we know that they went through a Mason Rudolph, a Kenny Pickett drafting him early in the NFL draft. And now we are in the 2023 NFL offseason. And both of these teams have solid coaching staffs. So I would probably give the lean towards the Steelers for having the better coaching staff. But I feel like the Falcons do have the better roster here on both sides of the ball. Very young, very high-end talent. Not to say that the Steelers don't, but I... I, I probably give the offensive nod to Atlanta, but the defensive nod would go towards the Pittsburgh Steelers. But let's get into the situation here of the Falcons and Steelers possibly pursuing Justin Fields in this offseason. The Bears have already come out and said they're more likely than not going to be drafting Caleb Williams. 
And I don't blame them. I'm a big Justin Fields fan, though. I love Justin Fields coming from Georgia when he transferred over to Ohio State. I knew he was going to cut it up in college football, and I expected him to do the same in the NFL. Unfortunately, it has not panned out like that. But I don't blame the Chicago Bears for, again, being in this position. Over the last 32 years, the Chicago Bears have had 38 different quarterbacks take a snap. In the same amount of time, now it's in a little bit of an anomaly, but in the same amount of time, the Green Bay Packers have had only three to four starting quarterbacks in that 32-year span. We know it's been Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and now Jordan Love. So the Bears need to get some sort of consistency at the quarterback position because, as I said months ago, and I will still stand on this take, no one has had a worse front office, head coach, offensive scheme, offensive line, weapons, and defensive support since getting to the league and since Justin Fields has got to Chicago. Justin Fields sit up there on that horrible pedestal not having that support. He's went through two uh, GMs already with Ryan uh, Ryan Poles and now, or excuse me, with Ryan Pace and now with Ryan Poles. He's been through a couple of head coaches with Matt Nagy and now Matt Eberflus, and I don't even believe Eberflus is the fit, so they're probably going to be moving on to that, and maybe Caleb Williams will have to deal with this dysfunction. The offensive scheme hasn't been great. We know the offense hasn't been at the tops of the league. The offensive line has been absolutely horrendous for Justin Fields since he's got there. I understand he does hold the football, one of the longest quarterbacks in the NFL to do so, but in the same breath, let's also not sit up here and act like Justin Fields actually has the support that he needs to succeed in the NFL because he doesn't. I can't find a reputable weapon that Justin Fields actually had outside of an Allen Robinson into which the offensive coordinator, the head coach, the schemes were not drawn up well enough for Justin Fields to be able to hit his man. But we see DJ Moore come in and have a great season with Justin Fields, Justin Fields being able to emerge a little more and actually find that number one weapon in DJ Moore. And he deserves that. He's earned that with the level of talent that he's got, and he needs a good weapon around him. Yes, I've appreciated the David Montgomery's, maybe the Jim Graham's and the Cole Komets of the world, but not true star weapons like a Josh Allen has, like a Jalen Hurts has, like a Lamar Jackson has and is going to be getting more, like Kansas, Kansas City will be going to grab for Mahomes, like Herbert has, like Burrow has. And I'm not putting him on that pedestal of those quarterbacks, but he hasn't had the support. The defensive support has been abysmal as well. But Justin Fields also comes out and says he wants to be a bear for life. He wants to be a Chicago Bear. He couldn't see himself playing anywhere else. And it seems like the owner, the GM, the head coach, the player, the locker room, the fan base, the majority of them want to keep Justin Fields. And I don't blame them because they understand. I feel like I just spit everywhere. And if I did, guys, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, I don't blame them because I understand that they feel like they have a quarterback that hasn't been perfectly bought back in on. I didn't even take the PlayStation lower third away, but I hope it soaked in for you guys. Again, don't forget to go check out PlayStation at PlayStation online. They understand that Justin Fields needs to be bought in on more. He needs a consistent head coach. He needs a consistent offensive scheme. He needs consistent weapons that he has at his disposal. So when you have a fan base, really all of this franchise saying that they want to have Justin Fields, but they're back at the number number one pick position. They're looking at a generational prospect in a Caleb Williams after already trading away the number one overall pick last year. And I'd say Bryce and Caleb are comparable, especially seeing what they've both done in college. Now, I understand Caleb Williams has lost eight games over the last two years, but would you know that his defense has given up 43 points per game in those eight losses? He was losing in shootouts. I feel like I would trust Caleb Williams to win more in a shootout, even though he might not have done it as much than I would have Bryce Young. 
We know Bryce Young's a little smaller. We saw him get beat up some in Carolina, only win two games. I don't believe that's going to be the same trajectory for Caleb Williams. Again, both comparable quarterbacks. I like them both as players. I am going to give that nod to Caleb. And saying all that, the Bears cannot pass up on this. The Bears really have to go get Caleb Williams. I understand he's still got more growing to do. Every number one overall pick does. Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, they weren't groomed for the league when they got here. And it's not going to be the same thing with Caleb Williams. But let's get into the team now, talking about how the Bears are you know, going to be moving forward from Justin Fields, the Falcons and the Steelers being in this mix. Who would be the better fit for Justin Fields? Again, if we're going coaching and defense, you got to look at the Steelers. I mean, we know what the Steelers present defensively with T.J. Watt, with Minka Fitzpatrick, with the multiple superstars they have on that side of the line. And we know that Mike Tomlin is one of the best head coaches in NFL history. Never had a losing season. We talk about that standard that the Steelers have established. But it does make me a little weary when you start to look at Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator. Is that pushed onto Justin Fields? I believe someone at a higher quality than Arthur Smith should be at the offensive coordinator position. Tony, y'all give me one second. Sorry, y'all. We back. Thought the pups were getting into it in a fight, and I, I I feel like I can't sit here on the show if I hear them back there tussling, man. I, I got to go out there and intervene and be dad. But really talking about who would be the better fit for Justin Fields. Again, coaching, defense, feel like that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Arthur Smith not necessarily feeling him with the offensive coordinator position when you look at the Falcons. I like the offense better. I like the Bijan Robinson, the Kyle Pitts, the Drake London. Immediate embarrassment of riches the moment that you step over there. Immediately. And it's not to say that the Steelers don't because there is a Pat Fryermuth and a Darnell Washington and a Najee Harris and a Jalen Warren and a George Pickens. But it feels like the star power is more put together and I guess developed over in Atlanta, even though they have had Arthur Smith as that head coach and the multiple offensive coordinators over the years with Arthur Smith and even a little beforehand. Well, really, let's just focus on when that rookie class had come in. You know, it feels like Atlanta overall would be the better decision because you want to immediately give Justin Fields weapons to deal with. And I feel like that trio in Atlanta is better than the collection in Pittsburgh. Maybe not my much. It can be subjective on who you ask. You look at the defenses also, though. Both the Falcons and the Steelers had solid defenses last year. The Steelers, I think, do bear more on the defensive side of the ball, but I would like to say that the Falcons are a little deeper. They might not have a bunch of A-plus and A-players, but they got a good bit of B, B-plus, maybe even C-plus players. They've got a Grady Jarrett. They've got a Calais Campbell. they got a Jeff Okuda. We know about A.J. Terrell. We know about the best safety in the league in Jesse Bates. We understand about a Caden Ellis. And, and I've got all the respect for the Steelers on their defensive side of the ball as well. But I don't know, at the end of the day, do you take a basically 
not 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 a rookie head coach Raheem Morris, but a guy who's had his shot at it in Raheem Morris and not been very productive, and a new offensive coordinator versus a guy who's offensive coordinated before in Pittsburgh and all has a legend now going into his 18th, 19th year in Mike Tomlin. You got to take your pick there, pick your poison. I would like to say that the Falcons are the better pick or the Falcons are the better fit for Justin Fields. Take your pick. Do you want offense, which Justin Fields has fallen very short to, and a defense that is comparable to the others in the Steelers? Or would you rather have less of an offense, but more of a proven coach and more proven offensive coordinator? And as I'm just explaining it, the, the smarter pick does feel like the Steelers, but I just love the weapons that Justin Fields is going to be presented with. And we know coaching is everything. We don't know if Raheem Morris and Zach Robinson will be able to t- give Justin Fields that guidance and leadership with those weapons over there. We would probably like to think that Mike Tomlin and Arthur Smith are more veterans, more able to coach them up, more able to mend a younger player. But also, do the Steelers at this point want to bring in a younger quarterback or appeal to a guy like Russell Wilson, like I talked about a few months back on the show as well? Now, considering Justin Fields' lackluster career thus far, would he make either of these teams better? Absolutely. We know the Falcons, again, have struggled ever since Matt Ryan's left at the quarterback position. And we know the Steelers, even though that they did make it to the playoffs, we know that they've also struggled finding a quarterback ever since Ben Roethlisberger has left. Again, it comes down to what do you want? Do you want more offensive presence, but a little more skeptical coaching leadership? Or do you want better defense or comparable defense, maybe a little less of an offense, but to me, superior coaching leadership? That's where it's going to come down to, do either of these teams actually make Justin Fields better? And you can also look at the question of, should the Falcons or the Steelers even pursue other options? I've been saying the Falcons should take a quarterback in the draft. While I do love Justin Fields in the same breath, Justin Fields does have some doubt to him because he has been with the same franchise for years now. Despite not being bought in on and despite him growing some as a quarterback, if the Falcons moved it for Justin Fields and it was a bust, everybody talk about what they should have done in the draft. Also, if the Falcons do something in the draft and move on from Justin Fields, everyone's going to talk about what they've done with Justin Fields. But to me, more of the risk-adverse thing would be to go with one of these rookie quarterbacks that, you know, to me, most of them do feel better than Justin Fields at this point. I understand they haven't seen an NFL snap, but even when you look at some of that college tape, they do appear to be better than Justin Fields. Call me crazy, Bo Nix. We know Jaden Daniels. We know Caleb Williams. I still like Justin better than Drake May. We know Michael Penix as well. I feel like I would want to take more of my chances with those guys in the draft than Justin Fields, who would then be on another head coach, on another front office, on another offensive scheme with a different offensive line, having to get more weapons around him. Thankfully, he would have that defensive support. And then we look at the Steelers as well. They're picking 20th in the first round of the draft. Could they trade up? Absolutely. Say whatever you want. I believe any team in the first round, if they've got their picks, can trade up. It's just about how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to move to the top of that draft to get your franchise quarterback? Your QB one of the future. But it feels like the Steelers would maybe go towards that Kirk Cousins or that Russell Wilson route, like we've talked about. Not Kirk, but with Russell Wilson. You give him to Mike Tomlin, a guy who's very, you know, very, uh, very, excuse me, he is a veteran. The players respect him. The locker room loves him. 
And it feels like Rush just might need a real adult to go to, although I do believe Sean Payton is that. We know about the injury. Um, you Not the injury, but the injury clause as to why he was benched. They don't want to spend the money. They, the, the Broncos want to get out of that contract. Straight up. So I could say here that both of these teams, the Falcons or the Steelers, should pursue other options. It's not going to be bad if either of them go for Justin Fields because I believe in either of these situations he can succeed. One, maybe just a little better than the other. But I want to hear from y'all down low in the comments. Get in the chat. What do you think of Justin Fields possibly going to the Falcons? Justin Fields possibly going to the Steelers. Which one is the better fit? Should these teams even chase him? This is live, man. Um, Arichi, yeah, this is live. Facts got to make sure the dogs are okay. Yeah, hundred percent, bro. <laughs> yeah, I hit the I hit the break to go uh, to go check on them for a second. But yes, man, this is a live. We go live. The schedule is to go live every Tuesday and Friday and seven. Sometimes we go about seven thirty or eight, just depending on how much prep going in for the show. But babe, appreciate you tuning into the show, Arichi from YouTube. I appreciate you uh, tuning into the show as well. And now let's get on to the next segment: the top three surprise teams from the 2023 NFL season. And we're going to get into the top three letdown teams as well. Let's start with the positive news from the top. I think the biggest surprise from this season, no doubt, was the Indianapolis Colts. They absolutely, or not the Indianapolis Colts, excuse me. They are one of the teams that's on here and actually does surprise me. God, I'm all over the place, y'all. I feel rusty with this show. I never even said, hit the QR code there if you want to check out every bit of the content at NFL with AJL, hashtag the NFL with AJL. The Houston Texans were, to me, easily the biggest prize of the 2023 NFL season. Rookie head coach in D'Amico Ryans, who was defensive-minded. Rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud, who was taken second overall in the draft. Three wins last year, dead last in the league, uh, or dead last in their division. Not a great offense, not a great defense. Turning it around to this year, talk about comeback team of the year. D'Amico Ryans, as that rookie head coach, C.J. Stroud, as that rookie quarterback, they triple their wins to 10. They win a division. They win a playoff game against a juggernaut defense who's getting compared to historic teams. And all of the talent they were able to utilize well, knowing that Tank Dell went down and they were still able to utilize great pieces, having that Robert Woods, having that John Mechie, having that offensive line, having Will Anderson on the defense, and just all these pieces clicking together for the Houston Texans, definitely the most surprising team of the season. Next, I'm going to say the Indianapolis Colts. Going 9-8, and eight, I can only wonder what would have happened if the Indianapolis Colts did not lose Anthony Richardson early on in the year. Because I think he's going to be a breakout player next year. Shane Steichen had Anthony Richardson going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Trevor Lawrence earlier on in the year. I understand it's an earlier part of the year. I understand it's that September-October football. We want to see Anthony Richardson stay healthier. We know the show gave him a hiccup, but he can spin it. He can move. He's big. He's physical. Shane Stein, being the OC from Philly, also in the rookie head coach position, did a fantastic job. And I think it's a very bright future for the Indianapolis Colts, considering the talent they have on both sides of the ball, the leadership in Shane Steichen, and the fact that Anthony Richardson is going to be, I think, a very good quarterback in the NFL. And next will be the Green Bay Packers. Definitely a big surprise team here. We saw how Jordan Love came out, has an absolutely amazing season, blows out the Cowboys in the wild card round, whether you look at that as an accomplishment or not. Matt LaFleur still being able to do the quarterback whispering that the Green Bay Packers are so halted for. And knowing that they won a playoff game, 
they had a chance to complete to compete this year. And I think they're going to be contenders for years to come. Two honorable mentions for the surprises of the year. I'm going to go the Rams having a Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup coming off injury, having Puka Nakua as the most you know, regarded rookie wide receiver we've seen to date, at least as you know, for what the numbers say, Sean McVay having a very, very young team on both sides of the ball with the Kyron Williams. I'm trying to think of the defensive end. That was, uh, that was fairly young that they had some toolage with, uh, excuse me for not knowing the names that I just remember thinking all year, it's a, such a young team without a lot of leadership and knowing that Sean McVay coached these guys up. Sean McVay easily could have been in the coach of the year discussion. Having to deal with all these young players, having to deal with some of these injuries, and still getting these guys to a 10-7 and record, and going down to the wire against Jared Goff and the Lions. And another audible mention, I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns. When you have four starting quarterbacks, and you continue to still win and make the playoffs 11 wins, six losses, the playoff loss was ugly to Houston. We know that they got blown out by them. A 45-piece put up on them in the playoffs. It's not something to write home about. But when you're going from Deshaun Watson to P.J. Walker to Joe Flacco, I can't remember the fourth quarterback. Oh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson as well. When you're having to shuffle all those quarterbacks, you're pulling Joe Flacco off of a couch who wins comeback player of the year, which I didn't agree with, comes in, throws for all the yards, throws for all the touchdowns, he does, he does lose the playoff game, but knowing that Kevin Stefanski had to do that and still willed this team to the playoffs and 11 wins, absolutely impressive. Now let's go to the top three plus two honorable mentions, letdown teams from the 2023 NFL season. Off the top, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars going nine and eight this year was very disappointing. We saw Trevor Lawrence take a great leap in the year before. We knew that Doug Peterson was going to be able to tool with Calvin Ridley. We understood that this defense was supposed to be major. We've got Josh, you know, they've got Josh Allen. They've got Trayvon Walker. But we also understand that Trevor Lawrence was hurt for a good bit of this year. Trevor Lawrence was hurt for about half of the season. He wasn't 100%. And I know there's the old adage, not everyone's really 100% once you get past really week one, right? The first few snaps, first few drives of the, of the year for everybody. Like, no one's 100% after that. But to know how dejecting the Jacksonville Jaguars felt. This felt like it was their division to win. Nobody was talking about the Texans coming into this year. Nobody thought that Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson for the short time they were together and then Shane Steichen afterwards was going to be able to produce the type of year that he did. And now the Jaguars are looking solely at the Texans and the Colts in their division and wondering what went wrong. Because they were by far and away the favorites to win that division. They were the best team in that division walking in until the Texans and the Colts had other things to say. Next letdown team here, the Miami Dolphins. Arguably the best offense in the NFL all year. We know what two and Tyreek Hill were capable of, but they couldn't beat the teams. They had one win against teams above 500 all year. And they end up missing the playoffs. As well. No, they don't miss the playoffs. The Chiefs actually beat them in the playoffs. Excuse me. They beat one team all year. One team that had a winning record that was above 500. It was the Dallas Cowboys. I said, look, you caught the Cowboys on a bad day. Okay, just like the Packers did. You caught them on a bad day. And that's okay. That's fine. You'll take that win. But we saw what was happening against those big-time teams like the Eagles, like the Chiefs, like the Bills, 
we understand what happened with the Miami Dolphins not being able to beat these good teams. And that's what makes them such a letdown when you have a guy in Tyreek Hill going for two back-to-back, excuse me, going for back-to-back 1,700-yard seasons as a receiver. Never happened in the NFL before. To it, in regards of maybe the MVP, in regards of comeback player of the year, Mike McDaniel, Smith, getting all the recognition, really just Mike McDaniel. The defense needed to be more. They dropped 70-piece on the Broncos, and everybody's talking about them. But they can't even win a playoff game. They got home field, and they made Mahomes play in his first ever playoff game on the road in one of the coldest games ever. They still couldn't do it. I don't know where they have to go after this. I like to as a quarterback. I wonder, is he really one to get them over the hump? I do believe the defense does need to be better. And the third letdown of the year, two honorable mentions coming afterwards, the Philadelphia Eagles. We know that they got cleaned out. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, respectfully, both go get head coaching jobs. We see the defense struggle and be one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And the offense starts to slowly fall apart as well. Brian Johnson wasn't making it happen. Sean Desai on the defensive side wasn't making it happen. And the reason they felt like such a letdown is Jalen Hurts just played outplayed Patrick Mahomes a year ago in Super Bowl 57. They just did it. Jalen Hurts looked freaking awesome. And everybody was starting to respect what Jalen Hurts was becoming. And everybody expected it, maybe not to be linear, but it felt like the Eagles were going to go back to the Super Bowl. I believe in Nick Sirianni. A.J. Brown was on another level at one point this year. I think the DeAndre Swift pickup was perfect. They brought in a Jalen Carter. They brought in a uh, 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 Nolan Smith. I mean, this Eagles roster is one of the most talented in the NFL. And they lose in the first round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And a lot of people were picking Tampa because they knew that you could throw the ball all over yard. When we saw Sam Howell put up 35 points each time, twice within three weeks, I believe it was in the season, Sam Howell and the Commanders, that's when we knew that the Eagles maybe weren't going to go as far as they needed to. That's when we knew that the Eagles' defense was not what it was the year before. Two honorable mentions here. The Cincinnati Bengals. The reason it feels like a letdown is because we expected them to go very far as well. We just saw them in the AFC Championship the year before, the Super Bowl two years before that, losing in the Super Bowl. Talking about Joe Burrow, me talking about Joe Burrow coming into the year as the MVP. And the Joe Burrow comes into the year hobbled. And then he's a little more hobbled. And then they miss the time to bench him. And then they end up fully benching him because of the injury this year. So I don't know if I can say it's necessarily a major letdown, because you, I don't know if you can fairly judge a team once they're hit by the injury bug, because you, you can't really help that. Yes, the strength and conditioning all year, but I mean, we see Drake, Hin, uh, Drake Greenlaw coming off the sidelines in the Super Bowl. Dude's literally just jumping up and down and goes a sprint out there, tears the Achilles. So injuries, you never know what can happen. Expected the Bengals to be more this year, but clearly it's very hard to do that with their quarterback. Jake, uh, uh, Jake Browning was still very impressive, though. And then another honorable mention, my New Orleans Saints. Big time letdown this year. Easiest schedule in the NFL. Maybe the easiest schedule ever. We didn't really play a gauntlet of quarterbacks when we're walking into the season. I understand strength of schedule starts to play out differently because we saw how the Vikings were. But did we, did, we, we did play down to the competition of the Bears, to the competition of the Falcons before blowing them out in, in Week 18, 
to the competition of plenty of other teams, plenty of winnable games, blowing in 17-point lead in the fourth quarter to the Packers, having the reins on the Houston Texans and losing that game, losing to the Minnesota Vikings. And the reason I was so optimistic is because, you know, I knew Derek Carr was going to be good. I didn't think he was going to be great. I didn't think he was going to be elite. I didn't think he was going to be able to overcome the adversity like we see many quarterbacks that we praise in today's game do. But I thought with the easiest schedule, the Saints would win 12 games and go to the playoffs. And I said that in the preseason. And that is the furthest thing from what happened. And we know that Dennis Allen is still at the helm. We know that Eric Carr is still at the helm. Thank God Pete Carmichael is gone. We have some assistance the Saints brought in that we're going to talk about later in the show. But the Saints were Definitely a major letdown to me this year. So the top three surprise teams, Texans, Colts, Packers, honorable mentions, and Rams and Browns. Top three letdown teams, Jaguars, Dolphins, and Eagles, honorable mentions, and the Bengals and the Saints as well. Again, y'all make sure to get down in the chat, get down in the comments as we're on the show tonight, episode 66 of the NFL with AJL. What's up, Megan? You know I'll see you tomorrow. Appreciate it. Uh, Steve, Saints need to get Cam on the defensive end position. dude put on the same Reggie White move on those dudes in your city. <laughs> Man, you talk about Cam Newton getting jumped by those kids at the seven on seven camp. Psh, that was crazy, dude. That was crazy. Shout out to Cam for keeping his composure though. Shout out to him for not hitting those kids back and shout out to the cameraman for just being able to capture how big Cam actually is. I mean, he was literally fending these guys off with one arm, like two guys here, one guy here. It was, it was over with. Um, but yes, y'all get in the chat, get in the comments again, like, and share the stream wherever you are. Drop a super chat. If you like, go check out Prey Station online, use code AJL at the NFL with AJL, hash NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. And I know we're a couple weeks late here on this story, but I wanted to give my take on it. Obviously that's what we do here on the show. The San Francisco 49ers fired Steve Wilkes after one season as defensive coordinator. And let's just say what it is. He, he, he was the scapegoat. He was the scapegoat on a loaded 49ers team that really, where else could they look? They're not going to let Shanahan go, how much better can you really get in a coach as Kyle Shanahan? You take Super Bowls and playoffs out of it, Kyle Shanahan might be the best regular season coach ever. Obviously, he'd have a lot of catching up to do to Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, but y'all get the point of what I'm saying. We wouldn't look at him as negatively, and his resume probably isn't as stained in our eyes if the Super Bowl in fourth quarters and playoff games just don't factor in, but they do. And Steve Wilkes gets scapegoated here because you're loaded. You loaded offense. You have a loaded defense. You have all pros everywhere. Even Brock Purdy had a solid year. I talked about how I do think they need to get a little more dynamic at quarterback because Kyle Shanahan has never prioritized having a dynamic quarterback. You go from Jim Garoppolo to taking the biggest swing ever on Trey Lance and moving the house for it to Brock Purdy. And you just so happen to luck out with Brock Purdy. And look, I'm, I'm not I'm not crucifying Kyle, okay? He made it to um, um, a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. Okay, Brock Purdy was number one in a lot of major quarterback stats, touchdowns per attempt, completion percentage. Um, um, uh, I, I think completions per attempt. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but we understand why Brock Purdy was in that MVP conversation. Kyle Shanahan comes out and says it wasn't the right fit. He was an outsider looking in. There's reports of Kyle Shanahan not being a fan of his schemes. And you look back on tape and you look over the years, Kyle Shanahan doesn't like aggressive defenses for some reason. 
which I, I I don't understand. I mean, when you're boasting the type of players that you are on that side of the ball, I would like to think that you like to be aggressive in some aspects. We see him be aggressive in the Super Bowl going forward on fourth down, and he gets it. We respect that because of what came out on the other side. But that's what Steve Wilkes does. Steve Wilkes, you know, Steve Wilkes is an aggressive guy. He plays that smash mouth defense. He's going to get up in your face. That's what we know the Niners for, being able to push them around, whether it was a Robert Sala, whether it was a D'Amico Ryans, whether it was a Steve Wilkes who's now gone. It just feels like Kyle Shanahan needs to get out of the way a little bit and let some of these coordinators do their jobs. Because Steve Wilkes blitzed almost 50% of the time, one out of every two plays. 50% of the time with Carolina in 2022, Steve Wilkes was calling a bits blitz. That was most in the NFL. This season, he blitzed about 20% of the time, which was third to last in the NFL. I'll say that again. 2022, before he worked for the Niners, he was the most blitzingest, I guess you could say, uh, defensive coordinator in the league. This year, he blitzed about 20% of the time. It was third to last in the NFL. So he had to change his identity right there. And we know when you've been in the league for a while, when you have to try to adapt and just after you, you know, you are one of these oldie goldies, people understand really what you've done. And we're going to get to the numbers in a second. He built an amazing defense in one year. He didn't build it, but he engineered one. He got them into the top five in both points and yards. He got them to a Super Bowl. And again, you know, I guess someone had to take the fall after blowing a 10 point lead in the Super Bowl. Spoiling an amazing season for the San Francisco 49ers. But it 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 just doesn't make sense with Steve Wilkes leaving. And, and that's why it's kind of an easy inclination or a decision to look at and say, do a scapegoat it. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to let Purdy go? He's costing you 900 grand a year. Yeah, you could go look for another quarterback, but Purdy just led you to the Super Bowl. going to move off him. You're going to move off anybody on your roster that just had a part in playing in the Super Bowl, which all 22 starters did. And here's what befuddles me. Robert Sala and the Niners lost the Super Bowl. Robert Sala went to get a head coaching job with the Jets. D'Amico Ryans lost the NFC Championship game last year. He became the head coach of the Texans, and he won a playoff game with a second overall pick in C.J. Stroud as a rookie and as a rookie head coach. Shanahan mentioned how tough it was losing both of those guys. Hmm. So why would you go out and fire the defensive coordinator that just gave you one of the most elite defenses in the NFL this year? The Niners were fifth in takeaways with 28. They were first in the league with 22 interceptions. They were third in points. Excuse me, I stand corrected. They were eighth in yards defensively, so not top five in both categories, but top eight in both points and yards. They were first in yard differential, which means they outgained everybody on the net margin of how many yards they gained versus how many yards they gave up. They were number one in the NFL. And they were third in point differential. They outscored basically everybody else in the NFL that they played with the exception of two teams. Or no, let, let, let me bring that back. They scored more points than they gave up. Only two teams in the NFL were better than doing that. Nobody in the NFL was better than having more yards than the other team had. You hold the Chiefs to 19 points in regulation, just three points in the first half. You hold them to one touchdown, two touchdowns in total. One touchdown came from the 15-yard line after the muff punt off the back of the Niners um, player's foot, which was a freak accident. Do you have to be more aware? Biggest game of your career in the Super Bowl? Absolutely. 
And then the other touchdown came in overtime for the Chiefs win with the throw to Michael Hardman. What more could Steve Wilkes had done? He held Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes probably going to go down as a top three quarterback head coaching duo ever, if not best, just based on the trajectory that they have right now. You held them to 19 points in regulation and one touchdown in regulation. You're having Harrison Butker kick a Super Bowl length field goal. And Steve Wilkes is the one that gets that, that, that gets the boot. Because last time I checked, Kyle Shanahan was the eye behind the offense who also scored 19 points in regulation. <laughs> the Niners, Debo didn't get involved. Kittle didn't get involved. He abandoned the run in the third quarter. He only scored in two quarters, not including overtime. Took the ball in overtime and managed a field goal in overtime with that roster. But it's Steve Wilkes' fault. Steve Wilkes' fault that he was fifth in takeaways, first in the league in picks, third in points, eighth in yards, first in yard differential, third in point differential. And you hold one of the most creative quarterback head coach duos, one of the most creative offenses despite all the drops in the regular season. They got that shit together once the playoffs came. Despite all of that, Steve Wilkes is the one to go. And I just think it's a lack of accountability, not only on the Niners, but only on Kyle Shanahan, because if you literally said he wasn't the right fit, he was an outsider looking in, he wasn't a fan of his schemes, why the hell did you hire him? Why did you bring in a guy to where you are, your Super Bowl window is open, you've had one of the most loaded rosters in the league for a while, why would you bring him in if he doesn't align and identify with what you want as the head coach of the team? And I get it, the Niners might be like the Packers in terms of whispering quarterbacks over the last 32 years. The Niners have whispered defensive coordinators over the last you know few seasons. Robert Saul left, no problem. D'Amico came in. D'Amico came in, left, no problem. They got Steve Wilkes in. And they have consistently held that defense. And again, you know, the Niners are they're they're in a difficult situation because one, what coach are you going to go take a gamble on to not only sustain this regular season success, but get you over the hump in the postseason? And two, your quarterback is not dynamic. I get it. 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 10 picks, led the league in completion percentage. I, I get all that. But there were times in this game, the Super Bowl, where Brock Purdy's arm strength, his decision-making just wasn't there. And I'll be easier on Brock, right? We know he was the Mr. Irrelevant. We understand this was his first full year as a starter. We know also that he took them to the NFC Championship game last year. And Brock Purdy could very well win the Super Bowl next year. He could go into this offseason, craft his game up immaculately, and if not, maybe win it next season, win it the year after in 2026. So they want to give Brock some more time, right? But why didn't Steve Wilkes get more time? There's just no other way you can look at it other than he was scapegoated. It just, I mean, plain and simple, he was. He absolutely was. And I hate it for Steve Wilkes. Do I think he'll get another job? Yes. Do I think he'll be just fine? Yes. But this was a very confusing move to me as the 49ers let go of their one-year defensive coordinator. San Fran is known for doing things like firing Steve Wilkes. Look what they did to the greatest quarterback and receiver in NFL history. Steve is a great coach and an even better person. The Lord knows what he's doing. He's heading, he's leading Steve to a much better place. Love to hear that, man. I love that perspective. And you're absolutely right. You know, when I see guys moved off of in the NFL, when I see free agents not get picked up, when I see coaches not get, you know, reconsidered, like God's got a better plan for you. 
not every closed door is a locked one, one. And two, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And I'm going to just go ahead and hit the third part of the scripture, Isaiah 16, 16 and 22. When the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I, the Lord, will hasten it. Steve, I appreciate that, man. I, I really appreciate that comment there. Uh, yeah, I think we'll hit a little actual break here on episode 66 of the NFL with AJL. Appreciate everybody jumping into the show. Y'all, please make sure to like and share the stream wherever you may be watching, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram now. Appreciate y'all tuning in on Instagram, Twitch, uh, or uh, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. I appreciate y'all. Y'all make sure to like, or excuse me, subscribe on YouTube, which I've been doing fantastic at. Hit the bell as well so you never miss a post give you notifications for any time we post something here on YouTube. You can drop a super chat or a super thanks if you'd like directly here on the channel to donate to the show or if you want to get at me on social media to donate as well. The choice is yours. Of course, no donation is too big or too small. Anything that you would take out of your day to support the channel, even if it's just your viewing eyes, you guys already know I am forever, for, excuse me, forever thankful for that. And as always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Whether you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate, get at Buy and Sell with AJL on all social media platforms. You can get on their exclusive newsletter. You can also take advantage of the AI that they're giving to all of their clients, buyers, and sellers. You can drop your email in the comments, wherever you may be watching this, or get at them on social media as well, and you can get on that newsletter and that AI program as well. QR code will give you every bit of social media and podcast content. And as always, we are sponsored by PlayStation, the best Christian and gaming collab out there. I, I wish the camera would get it together, but that's why I put it right here on the lower third so you guys can see it. P-R-A-Y, PlayStation, like PlayStation. You got the praying hands, which is the PlayStation color as well. I, If y'all know me, y'all know I got a big ass head <laughs> straight up, so I'm not able to wear this. So that's why it's sitting on the backdrop, but I'm hoping maybe I can get a hoodie or maybe a beanie. Uh, at PlayStation Online, again, I've got the link in the description down in the chat. Use code AJL at checkout. Be sure to ask the merchant what little special that gives you when you go use code AJL at checkout check out the NCAA football uh, college 2025. I totally butchered it there. EA sports college football 2025 has officially been announced. It's here. The full reveals coming in May. So in just a few months and the game is going to drop over the summer. So they might drop it around July or August, give it about two or three months after the full reveal in May for them to give us the entirety of this game. All 134 FBS teams are going to be in the game. Players will actually get offered $600 plus a copy of the game. They can opt into the game if they'd like to be in it via the Compass NIL app. More than 11,000 players are expected in this game. The first installment of the series since 2014 when the game was discontinued. That's why if you go and try to buy NCAA 14, it's like a $200 freaking game in some game stores. And this is very exciting, right? We have been waiting for this for years. I remember, I think, back in 2021, talking about EA Sports College football coming back. They delayed it, they delayed it, they delayed it, and now it's here. I want to address the fact of the players only getting $600. A copy of the game, of course, I, I respect that. NFL players make either twenty four dollars or $28,000. I want to give these kids that, you know, uh, 
that of maybe you know financial compensation for being a game but, but i feel like you know at least 5 grand maybe 6 grand would be sufficient i mean 600 bucks i understand all of these kids have the right to nil totally get that and you know we see a lot of kids stay in college for a little bit cuz maybe their college deal is going to pay them more than what the nfl deal would depending on where they're projected to go in the draft but it's been announced it's here it's coming back Everyone is super pumped about it. And, and I want to give some respect to the trailer too, right? It opens up, you know, uh, go, going in with the aerial shot, the drone shot of the Rose Bowl Stadium. You have the guy stitching the jersey. It comes out at the, I mean, perfect voiceover. The jersey gets revealed at the end. EA Sports College Football, yeah, it's really happening. You see them throw the comments on the screen about the game not coming out. Oh, yeah, I've heard this before. I hope this isn't fake news. We're really close. And they've listened to that. They've heard that, and they put it back on us for us to realize that this game is actually coming out. We saw the preliminary footage of some of the mascots, the way it's going to say play like a champion when they're running out of the tunnel, kind of some of the 3D you know, skeleton rendering that this game is going to present to us, kind of how it's being pieced together. Uh, I, I love how they flip the downs marker from 14 to 25 because we have waited a whole ass 11 years for this game to come back. And I even want to give a shout out to... Um, it's not Chris, Chris Sims. And I feel so embarrassed to say that there was someone, there was a video that I shared the other day. You know what? I'm going to go back and look real quick. There was a video that I shared the other day with my cousin, Alan, who was on one of the most recent shows. Let's see. Um, cause I, I, I want to pull dude's name. I know it's right here. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Chris Fowler said he's been doing voice recordings for EA college football 2025 for about two years now. He said any situation you could imagine from touchdown, Alabama to touchdown, Wyoming. If you want to do a 72 yard punt, if you want to punt on a 72 yard field goal, if you want to punt on second down, whatever the case is, they more than likely have it covered because they've thought that far ahead. They know that they've been waiting. We've been waiting for 11 years and they understand that this game is probably not even probably it's going to have very high expectations. It was gone for about seven or eight years before the, you know, rumblings came back out that it was coming out. And then we've had to wait another three to four years. If it actually does come out in the summer of this year, which I do believe it is. I, I believe they finally got their ish together. But just to know that they have went to that extent to give that to us in the diversity of the content and how the game is going to play out, I, I got to give my hats off to EA. I hope they do better things with this game than they do with Madden, as it does feel like every year Madden is just scrape the rosters, new rosters, giving you something that we've seen before. Like We know that they just brought back the mini camp and all that. I, I'll be honest, I haven't played Madden since uh, Madden 22. Yes, because we're going to be having Madden 25 come out in August of this year, as we always do. But a few things that I'm hoping for in this game is, is that the crowd noise is going to be back. The crowd noise being so prevalent. I mean, if you've got the headphones on, if you've got your surround sound in, like it kind of hurts your ears with the crowd noise because I remember that's how it was in NCAA 05, NCAA 09, NCAA 12, 13, 14. The crowd noise that affects the viewing the pre-snap play, your routes look all jagged. You can't really see what the assignment of the running back is. You don't know what it's going to be because when it is that loud, it is hard to focus. 
And along with that, we know the audibles and the hot routes were made harder. Sometimes you couldn't make an audible or a hot route if the decibels were above a certain length. I remember just smashing the hell out of the L2 and R2 button. I think it was on the PS2 and PS3 at the time to get that crowd noise to hype up. That, that was one of my, my favorite parts of the game. I hope they bring back mascot mode where you can actually play as Ugga. You can play as, you know, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket. You can play as the Alabama Crimson Tide mascot. We know the road to glory mode as well was fantastic when you take your player all the way from college all the way to the NFL. Kind of the uh, the road to the show as it was with, with MLB. They let you actually take that player from the minors up to the majors, giving you the same kind of experience here. And again, these are things that I'm hoping that we get in EA Sports College Football 25. I hope you're able to import the rosters as well into the newest Madden. Like So NCAA or EA Sports College Football 25, I'm hoping that they allow you to import into what in, import the rosters into whatever the Madden is going to be called this year because we know we had Madden 25 back in 2014 when it was the 25th anniversary of the game. Wonder what they're going to call it this year. And I hope that it's able to be done just like when you had NCAA 14. You were able to import your rosters into Madden NFL 25 so you can play with the whole team that you built, kind of restart your new dynasty, draft your players over. And um, overall, it just adds another layer of experience. You know, I know franchise mode's going to be in there. I know dynasty mode's going to be in there. I'm sure create a player, create a team. At least I hope for that anyways because I know we haven't seen that in the last few Maddens. And, you know, that was one of my favorite things as well. And I'll even add that on here to things I'm hoping for. I hope that they let you create a player. I'm hoping that they let you create a team with a logo, choose the stadium, see how it plays out. Those old Maddens that would let you do that, customize how the seats look, customize how, how the tunnels actually were when the players would run out, how the stadium would look, where your logos were going to be. All of that, I think, is what really made Madden such a gem. And they've steered away from that. Now it's all about, you know, uh, the yard, ultimate team, you know, uh, uh, online play. It, it doesn't really have the core factors of what the, the former Madden games actually did. And a couple of bold predictions here for EA Sports College Football 2025. I think it's going to outsell Madden this year by a mile. And I don't know if that's really a bold prediction. I'm sure a good bit of people think that, but I think EA Sports College Football 25 will outsell Madden, whatever they call it for the year of 2025, out of the damn water. If Madden's selling 3 million copies, NCAA selling 15. I'm not saying it's going to be a directly 5X and no off the top of my head. I don't know what the actual Madden sales are over the last couple of years. You know what? We'll go look at it right now. Madden 24 sales. Let's see. Madden 24 holds steady with another strong sale showing in November. Madden 24 sales total to date. Um, revenue nears 3 million in first month on. Okay, see, so that's Steam. Yeah, we know Josh Allen made the cover of, of Madden 24. But yeah, you know, I mean, just there's a lot that I hope this game has for sure. Not only do I think it'll outsell Madden by a mile, I think it'll be a top five, at the minimum, top five selling game of the year. People have waited 11 years for this. We know how college football is viewed all over the country, especially in the South where I'm from, Metro Atlanta. We love the dogs. A lot of people love Auburn. A lot of people love Alabama. A lot of people love Georgia Tech. A lot of people love Florida, even though, yes, we are in Georgia. Um, I, I think it's going to be a top five selling game of the year. No question. I think it is going to do massive numbers. And a lot of people that have been waiting for this game, a lot of people that have been in the ballots waiting ever since NCAA 14 came out and, and, and you know, just left the scene. They're going to come back. They're going to come back with a vengeance. They're going to buy the hell out of this game. And I, I think it's going to outsell Madden 
by a mile. But y'all get in the chat, get in the comments. What do you think about EA Sports College Football 2025? It's actually back. I couldn't be more excited for it, and uh, I will definitely be getting that when it comes out. Amen, brother. Absolutely. Amen, man. Amen. Welcome to the Hudak Corner on episode 66 of the NFL with AJL. The Saints restructured Derek Carr's contract. They do their annual cap clearing with Derek Carr's restructure. We know Derek Carr signed a $150 million deal with the New Orleans Saints, $100 million guaranteed. Before the NFL season started last year, we know how I felt about Derek Carr the entire year, so I'm not even going to rehash that. I was hyped for Derek Carr coming in. He played okay. I think he played up to, you know, a Derek Carr style of play, a Derek Carr standard. But of course, Saints fans like me and everyone would want to see more. The New Orleans Saints quarterback Derek Carr agreed to restructure his contract to convert more than $28 million of his scheduled $30 million salary to a bonus, which created a lot of salary cap relief. The details of the accounting were confirmed by Spotrack, which projected the Saints to be over the $246 million adjusted salary cap by more than $74 million before the conversion. So now what they do is convert Derek Carr from this four-year $150 million deal to now his $30 million salary this year being mostly paid into a bonus. So they're going to pay it up front, which will means that the salary cap for the year of them having to pay everybody, they'll, again, shave off $23 million like they were supposed to and like it's going to help them. Again, four-year, $150 million deal in March of 2023 after the Raiders let him go. His scheduled cap hit for 2024 the, before the restructure becomes official was $36 million and included a portion of his deferred signing bonus, which means he was going to get paid that signing bonus in 2024, which is the season coming up. But now when you go back and look at Derek Carr's restructured deal, he's going to earn a base salary of $1.21 million. What was that? He's going to, ooh, oh no. Oh man, that really hurt. Sorry guys. I was like, what is this on my head? Hey, we're, we're, we're raw. We're real here on the podcast, man. If something comes up, y'all gonna have to stick with me through it. <laughs> uh, okay. So Derek Carr, after he has been rich restructured, his base salary for this year is going to be about 1.5 or excuse me, base salary for this year is going to be 1.2, another $5.7 million signing bonus. The restructure comes at about 5.7. 5 million. His cap hit this year is now going to be 12.6 million instead of that 36 like we talked about. So saving a lot of money for the Saints. Still $52 million in dead cap. Still going to be paying him $30 million in yearly cash. Derek Carr's cap hit next year. Prime example of the Saints kicking the can down the road. He's going to make $30 million in base salary next year. He's going to get the $5.7 million in signing. He's going to get a $10 million roster bonus. The restructure is going to grant him another $5.7 million. His cap hit next year is $51 million. $51,458,000 with $40 million in dead cap for the 2025 season not including the season that's coming up. So he's going to get $40 million in yearly cash. There's a potential out in 2026, three years, $100 million, be about $28 million in dead cap. If not, Derek Carr will make $50 million in base salary in 2026, still 5.7 in signing, still 5.75 in the restructure, $61 million cap hit in 2026 after a $51 million cap hit in 2025. 
So Derek Carr will account for $110 million of, let's just say the NFL salary cap gets raised to about 270 within the next couple of years because we know it just jumped up by about $30 million. Derek Carr will be accounting for you know, around 20, no, I, I think around, somewhere floating around 30% of the cap for the Saints, which is huge. We know Patrick Mahomes took up about 17, 18% this year. He was the first quarterback in NFL history to win a Super Bowl while being the largest cap hit on the team. And y'all already know how I feel about this. I'm not going to rehash it. It's just my job as the podcaster, as the loyal fan base that y'all have provided me with to bring you what the New Orleans Saints do, as I've promised you the Hudak Corner here on the show. Do I like the restructure? Absolutely not. We're just kicking the can down the road, the inevitable. I am about to talk about some assistance, though, that the New Orleans Saints have brought in. The Saints have hired three assistants within the last couple of weeks, and I think what they're doing slash trying to show us is, hey, they believe Derek Carr is the franchise. They believe Derek Carr is the future. And so what they're going to do is they're going to bring in people around him that they feel like can build him up and he can have more success with than he did last year. So the Saints hired three assistants. They hired Derek Foster as their senior assistant slash run game coordinator, running backs coach, however you want to tab it. His last three years, he spent with the Chargers. He worked with Austin Eckler, who ironically has led the NFL in touchdowns in total over the last three years with 44. And, you know, when you when you see Derek Foster coming in, again, he's a young guy as well, just like Gary, uh, excuse me, just like Clint Kubiak, just like Keith Williams, who I'm going to mention as well, Keith Williams being 35, another staffer that came over to the New Orleans Saints. I'm really hoping that Derek Foster can maximize Alvin Kamara again, just like he did the last three years with Austin Eckler. And within those last three years, again, Austin Eckler has 44 touchdowns, which is the most in the NFL. We know that Alvin Kamara was rookie of the year. He was an insane dual threat running back. His last three years of production, he's really fallen off big time compared to those first four years. We saw him with a 14 touchdown year. We saw him with a 16 touch, you know, rushing touchdown year. One receiving touchdown this year for Alvin Kamara. And, you know, he's just fallen off big time. The rush yards are down year over year. He's not as explosive. But when you look at, you know, Clint Kubiak, when you look at Derek Foster, when you look at the quarterback coach, Janoko, they're all under 40 years old. So they're trying to get significantly younger in this front office, which is good. I believe youth in this league is great. A lot of the young players on the league, do you need some older assistants? Do you need some old heads in there to make sure that they can, you know, be on their P's and Q's, give them that structure like an Andy Reid, you know, like a Bill Belichick, like a Mike Tomlin, those veteran presences that can help with the locker room? Absolutely. But when you're looking at Alvin Kamara needs to be rejuvenated. Like people are out here saying Alvin Kamara was cost the Hall of Fame over the last couple of years because of the mismanagement of him. And we understand that Sean Payton wasn't there with Drew Brees to call the plays, and it's been a Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen now really running the helm, and it's been it's been horrible ever since Payton left. But it doesn't mean that the Saints can't go out and get a guy in Derek Foster who can at least give us some promising experience to make Alvin Kamara better. We got Keith Williams. He's 35 years old, coming in from the Ravens as our new wide receiver coach. He ironically worked with you guessed it, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams at Fresno State just a few years back, of course, before Carr, uh, you know, obviously about 10 so ten years or so ago before Carr came into the league. And, and you know, this kind of shows that the, sh- that the Saints are buying in on Derek Carr's people and trying to max him out. They brought in Foster Moreau last year. They brought in Brian Edwards. They brought in Jonathan Abram. And, you know, I, I respect the position that the Saints are taking on this because, like, they've told us Derek Carr's it. 
Um, I can only cross my fingers, hope, pray, and curse at the top of my lungs when and if we do or don't take a quarterback in the first round of this year because I still believe Derek Carr should be made the highest paid clipboard holder in NFL history. But if you're going to say, okay, you got $100 million guaranteed. We just restructured you to keep you here longer. So I'd probably be scratching my head if the Saints weren't making these type of moves and bringing these type of people in. So it shows that they're buying in on Derek Carr, which again, I respect, uh, I respect, I agree with. I don't like the restructure, and I don't necessarily like how it feels like we're becoming the New Orleans Raiders or the Las Vegas Saints. But at this point, it is what it is. He signed. He has the money. Let's just see how we can make him better. You got to do what you have to do if you're going to commit to a guy like Derek Carr. And then we bring in Rick Dennison who is older, he's in his 60s, but he did work with Clint Kubiak in Minnesota as a senior advisor. We know Clint Kubiak is now the new offensive coordinator of the Saints. We're hoping that he's the new rejuvenation, the new the new light for this team. But Rick Dennison worked with Clint Kubiak in Minnesota as the senior advisor on the offense. And Gary Kubiak, who is Clint's dad, was also the offensive coordinator for the Texans in 2010 to 2013. Gary Kubiak was Clint's dad. Uh, excuse me. So Gary Kubiak, who is Clint's dad, was the offensive coordinator for the Texans from 2010 to 2013, in which John Benton, who the Saints just hired as their O-line coach, was the offensive line coach in Houston also from 2010 to 2013. So the Saints just brought in a guy in Rick Dennison who can help with the offense. He's worked with Gary. Uh, he's, wor- he's worked with the offensive coordinator's father. He's also worked with Clint as well, who we just brought in. He's worked with the offensive line coach who uh, he's worked with the offensive line coach who we just hired, who was also next to Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison back in the, you know, the early 2010s with the Texans. So again, you know, the kind of how I said earlier with Kyle Shanahan needs to get out of the way and let his, you know, assistants and coordinators do their thing. I kind of feel like that's what Dennis Allen is doing right now. Hey, Clint, you're the new OC here. You're taking over for Pete. Go hire your staff. Okay, great. I'm going to go get a running backs coach and Derek Foster, who's young. He just got Austin Eckler to lead the NFL in touchdowns over the last three years. And we have a waning running back in Alvin Kamara. I'm going to bring in Keith Williams, who is only 35 years old, coming from the Baltimore Ravens as their, you know, now the Saints new wide receiver coach. We just saw what the Baltimore Ravens were this year. He worked with Derek Carr. He worked with Devontae Adams. I know Devontae Adams isn't coming over here, but he worked with our at the moment, unfortunately, franchise quarterback. So they're going to buy in on him. And I'm also going to bring in Rick Dennison, who worked with me in Minnesota, who knows my dad well, offensive coordinated for my dad, and also worked with our new offensive line coach. So they're just getting familiar here. They're trying to build this system in the second year of Derek Carr because they've showed you, again, restructuring, buying in, kicking the can down the road. The Saints still can't convince me that they want to win football games. But I'll tell you what, with moves like, like this, they they might just have me fooled. They might just have me fooled. This has been episode 66 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody jumping into the show tonight. I'm not lying. I felt a little rusty. It's okay. I only had one shift at the part-time job last week. I was feeling a little rusty there. Haven't done a show in a couple weeks here. So I, I was feeling a little rusty here. So y'all bear with me. I know we had to go on the break a little early. I know we were trying to get our points right and everything. But uh, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys for tuning into the show. 
Of course, as always, please make sure to like and uh, share the stream wherever you may be watching. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell on YouTube, please, as well, so you never miss a post. Please make sure to drop a super chat or a super thanks, super like, whatever the hell it is that YouTube says that you can do to donate to the show. No donation is too big or too small. Or you can get at me on social media at the NFL with AJL if you would like to donate directly to the show as well. As always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Y'all make sure to go support Prey Station at Prey Station, P-R-A-Y Station online. Use code AJL at checkout. Yes, for the best Christian and gaming collab you could ever imagine. And of course, there in the corner of the screen is a QR code for every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL, hashtag the NFL with AJL. We chopped up the Justin Fields rumors, the 49ers firing Steve Wilkes. We just came out of the Hudak corner and had plenty much, plenty much, had plenty enough here on the show. Damn. We'll be back on Friday with episode 67 of the NFL with AJL. As always, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. I need y'all. And I'll see y'all in the next podcast.